0: Well, a quick survey, I would love to see a raise of hands, and if you're online, you can put this in the comments. If you were outside yesterday as a parent or grandparent for a youth sporting event, if you were outside in the rain, let's just see a raise of hands, I was out there, and let me just say this, if you raised your hand and you ever doubt if you're a good parent or grandparent the answer is yes, you are. Now, for those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, it was a total torrential downpour yesterday, uh, complete rain. Mel and I were getting ready for Jack and Evie's soccer games, and I got out my rain gear. I have a, a totally rubber, waterproof coat and rubber, waterproof pants. And Mel started making fun of me. But, see, I grew up in Michigan, so I know how to handle the rain. She was like, John, you can't wear that. You're going to look like such a nerd. Story of my life, right? Right story of my life. I'm used to looking like a nerd, okay? So so everyone was out there. The wind was blowing. Oh my goodness, it was so rainy out there, but uh, I, I was bone dry. Mel looked a lot cooler, but not quite as dry. So, <laughs> Well, uh, before the torrential downpour, I have enjoyed the warm weather. I've been taking a lot more walks outside, and you've seen these guys, if you're walking or driving, these geese that kind of gather at all the ponds around the area here. And the other day I was out on a walk and there were different kind of little tribes of these geese. I noticed like they would go from one pond to another. So as I was walking, I was just kind of noticing the way they fly in different formations and the way they kind of bark when they're in the sky. And the one that's in the front, they'll bark and they'll kind of change who the leader is. And I was just kind of thinking, like, it's so cool that no one taught these geese to do this just in their nature. Like, it's in their nature to flock together. It's in their nature to go to water. Uh, It's in their nature to change who's at the front of the pack when that person gets tired. And it's amazing how God has just wired the animals to have nature. Um, Our dog Penny has the nature of a dog. Which brings with it a lot of great things. You know, she wants to please. She's a really good dog. We love her to death. She loves to cuddle. She's really pretty obedient overall. But the other day, I heard some yelling downstairs. I ran downstairs. Penny had found some small dead animal in the backyard. And she had brought it to the door. And so uh, we disposed of it. And then about an hour later, she brings the next one in. And I thought, you know, this is so annoying, but this is just the nature of a dog, right? They, I think they descend from wolves. It's just their nature to find these little creatures, and if they can kill them, to kill them, and I guess bring them as a prize to their loving owners. Did you know that as a human, there are things that are wired into your nature just as much as there are things wired into the nature of a goose or a dog? And three of those things are this, it is in your nature and mind to long to be accepted. This is part of how God made you. This is not a bad thing. And by the way, this is universally true. This is true of people in India and China and Russia, all across the United States. This is true of uh, the wealthiest billionaires and of people in the slums. This is true of professional athletes, of every human longs to be accepted. And you can see this with toddlers. You can see this when kids go out and play on the playground. They're wondering, am I accepted? Do I fit in? Do I belong? You have that in you. That's not a bad thing. God put that in you. You also, because you're made in the image of God, you long to be worthy, to have worth. So not only like accepted as like, well, we all accept him, but he's kind of the runt or whatever. You long to be accepted in a way that you're valued. That you have worth. That is from God. God put that desire in you. You also have this desire to be honored. Now, honor is not a word that we use a lot in America these days, but honor throughout human history, almost every uh, major culture is what we would call a shame and honor culture. Where the people who grow up in that culture, they know these are the things that are shameful. These are the things that are honorable. And you try to pursue the honorable thing. And shame honor cultures will have all these symbols of honor. Like different robes and feasts and positions of authority. And so it's in our nature to long for these three things. But the problem is from the time we're born... From the time we can waddle around, we start to experience at different levels the opposite of these things. The first time you got bullied on the playground as a kid, you experienced the opposite of all three of those, right? Instead of accepted, you were rejected. Instead of valued, you were devalued. Instead of honored, you were shamed. And so we grow up, unlike those geese that are just doing exactly what they're supposed to do, we grow up with these longings that are unfulfilled, And these longings, because we live in a broken world, sometimes we get the opposite of these things from the people around us. Maybe a verbally abusive parent, maybe just bullying from siblings, but whatever else, we get the opposite, sometimes real bad the opposite. And then on top of that, we make our own mistakes too at times, don't we? And that's where we get the opposite of honor, which is shame. And whether we realize it or not, we're all going through life Trying to get back to this position we were designed for of being accepted and worthy and honored. Uh, Did you know that on top of the human layers of that, elementary playgrounds and families of origin, whatever else, there's also a supernatural or that's just unseen spiritual battle for your soul. And did you know that the being that we call Satan or the devil, he's actually an unseen angelic being who is opposed to God He wants you living in a place of rejection. That's what he did. If you know the story of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve and they were perfectly accepted. They were perfectly worthy and honored. In fact, they were so accepted, you might wonder like, why were Adam and Eve naked? Why is that such a big deal of that story? The point is there was nothing to hide. In any way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, like it was pure connection and pure honor and pure acceptance, and it was wonderful. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no suffering. Satan comes in and lies to Adam and Eve. Hey, why don't you disobey God and turn away from God? What is Satan trying to do ultimately? Well, he wants to mess up God's creation, and he wants to move Adam and Eve and you and me from accepted and worthy and honored to rejected and worthless and shamed. Now I'm convinced that most Christians, including myself, uh, still, and in a big way for most of my Christian life, I had believed in Jesus and I was saved. I was on my way to heaven, but I was still living most days over here. Now the challenge with this is it's not like we wake up and look in the mirror and say, Boy, I really feel shameful and rejected and worthless today. We don't say that. We just feel it, and then we go looking to different things to try to heal it, and a lot of those things make it worse. Well, I'll give you a little example of the kind of rejection that gets into our spirit as young people and shapes our view of ourselves. And This is a story that when I was eight years old, I was not laughing, I was crying, but you can laugh at it today, okay, because I'm 38 now, I've processed it, I've moved past it, and I actually think it's kind of funny now. So this is called a Chevrolet Celebrity. It was not a great car in its day, but it was a car. And it's the car that my older brothers had. I'm the youngest of four boys. And uh, one day, it must have been the summer, because I was playing with my little Matchbox cars, as I almost always did. And I saw that my brothers were feathering their hair and French cuffing their jeans. This was a thing in the late 80s and the early 90s. It's coming around soon, I'm sure. And then I saw them all make their way out to the car. I had not been invited to whatever they were doing, but of course I should have been. And so I called to my mom. I said, mom, where are they going? She said, they're going to the mall. Let me just tell you, if you didn't grow up in the late 80s or the early 90s, going to the mall was the thing. It was like going to Disneyland on steroids. It was awesome. It was the best thing. And of course, my brothers who were like probably 16 and 14 at the time, they didn't want this little eight-year-old nerdy scraggly kid dragging along with them in the mall. I didn't know that. And so I leap up, and I run out to the driveway, and all three of my brothers are in the car, and I try to open the door, but the doors are locked. And they just start backing down the driveway. (laughs) And I start pounding on the glass like, guys, I want to go to the mall too. Two of them acted like they just didn't even see me. (laughs) The third one made it very clear that he saw me, but did not care, and I ran all the way down the driveway, grabbing at the handles, pounding on the glass, and they just pulled out into the road, and they left. And I can laugh about it today because I'm a secure person now, but (laughs) the reality is things like that happen in all of our lives, and you get this wound of rejection. And it starts to define your view of yourself. starts to define how you feel about yourself. And we all have these wounds of rejection, of worthlessness, of shame. And let's be honest, for most of us, the wounds are a lot deeper than the story that I just told. That's just a little example, right? Those wounds go deep. And the problem is we go through life and we don't know what to do with these things. And a lot of times it actually leads us into addictions and unhealthy habits because we're trying to grab for acceptance and maybe we look for love in all the wrong places because we haven't had the right kind of love. Uh, If you think about it, shame, rejection, and worthlessness, they're like these uh, evil seeds that Satan has planted into all of our hearts through our broken world and our circumstances. And just like a seed produces fruit eventually through a tree, those seeds that are in all of our hearts They lead to a number of things. Here's just a few examples uh, that we uh, deceive, that we conceal, that we're hypocritical. Why do we do that? Because we want to put up the best front because we want to be liked. And and some people become very deceptive in putting up the front. Why? Well, it's because they've been rejected in the past, and they don't want to be rejected now. Uh, Oftentimes, if these things aren't dealt with, it'll come out as anger. And a lot of times, people, it's coming out as anger and they don't even know why. Why are you so mad? I don't know. <laughs> There's something down under the surface there. And by the way, God, He loves you when you're in this position. This is all of us, okay? This isn't like, well, the really spiritual people don't have this problem. This is all of us. It can come out as anger, definitely comes out in fractured relationships. Because a relationship, especially anytime two people date, They're attracted to each other physically, yes, but they're also attracted because in each other, they're getting some worth that they weren't getting somewhere else. Like, oh, she likes me too. He likes me too. What's that? That's worth. That's acceptance. Oh, he opened the door for me. That's honor. Oh, she like did this thing for me that no one else would do for me. That's honor. Your long. Those are good longings and we look for them in other people. The problem is the very person you're getting the honor and acceptance from is also broken. (laughs) So when you're both having a good day, you can both give each other honor and worth and acceptance that you can't find anywhere else. But if you're both having a bad day, you get real frustrated. Why isn't this person giving me the worth I used to get or the value or the acceptance I used to get? And then you get frustrated with each other. A lot of fractured relationships go down to this. Impulsive attempts at pleasure. Where it's just like, oh, you know, life's just so hard. I just need some kind of outlet. I need some kind of... And when we, we go for something that we know is probably not going to be healthy for us, but we do it anyway, we're often under the surface just trying to get away from this stuff underneath. Most addictions, whether that's online, spending, uh, drinking too much, even drug addictions, most addictions start down here. And someone's looking for a temporary relief to numb the pain, and that thing gives them a temporary relief, but then they sober back up and they don't feel it anymore, but they feel what? Shame, and they carry the shame around, and eventually they go back to the thing again, and it becomes a downward spiral. I don't know, can you guys relate? You don't need to raise your hand, but in your heart, do you relate to any of this? I know that I do, and you know, what if I could tell you today how to get down to these roots in your heart, And present them to Jesus in such a way that he takes the seed of shame, even if it was planted in your childhood, even if you had a verbally abusive parent who um, repeated it over and over, what if you could give him that seed of shame in such a way that he transforms it to a seed of honor? And up from the soil of your life with time following, Jesus starts to sprout joy and patience and kindness and self-control. What if... God could take the seed of rejection that's in your heart and what if he could transform it to a seed of acceptance in such a way that where you often feel plagued with I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough um, that instead you were to consistently internally just feel like I am enough in Christ. God made me beautiful, God made me smart, God made me who he wants me to be, and I'm accepted, and I'm valued. I mean, what if you could transform, exchange those seeds? Or you could ask it this way, how can you live every day as someone who's completely accepted, worthy, and honored? That you actually, you believe it, and then you feel it. And that's the journey I want to take you on today in the next two weeks. starts with believing it. That's why I say for me, about 10 years ago, God opened my eyes to the fact that God says these things about us in his word, and it changed my beliefs. Now, it's still trickling down to changing my feelings, and every day I remind myself of what God says, it changes my feelings a little bit more. So in your life, as you follow God and do the right thing, remember, your faith, your belief, what you choose to believe is the locomotive. You want your feelings, they're always going to be the caboose. And the problem is we live in a a society that makes the feelings the locomotive. Like, well, I don't feel like going to church, so I don't go to church. Well, if you make your feelings the locomotive, you're going to derail in life, okay? Part of maturity is saying, I don't always do what I feel like. I do what I believe to be true and right and good. The beauty is, just like a train, if you put the caboose or the locomotive on the right tracks, the, the caboose will catch up eventually, and so you do the right thing. God, who do you say that I am? I'm going to do what you say to do with my life, with my relationships. You keep on that track. Your feelings eventually catch up. And you eventually get to a place like Zach and Lindsay, who we saw last week, who, you know, three years ago were homeless sitting in the Walmart parking lot, addicted to meth and heroin. And now, They're working, making Gideon Bibles every day. They're in church every weekend. They're restored with their kids who'd been taken away by the government. They're living a life of freedom. Did they get there by following their feelings? No. They got there by believing the right things. But now their feelings have caught up. And that freedom that they were hoping for, they actually experience now. So, okay, how do you get your feelings to that place of actually looking in the mirror and like, I'm accepted in God. Even if I messed up and just lost my temper or did something stupid, I'm accepted by God. I'm worthy in the sight of Jesus. I'm honored by God. How do we get there? Well, let's look at the words of Jesus here in Luke 15. And we're picking up the story that we started last week. We often call it the prodigal son, though the word prodigal is actually not in there. It's the lost son. It's a son who behaved shamefully it's not just that he uh, ruined his family's inheritance and shamed his father it's not just that he made some mistakes to Jesus original audience in a shame and honor culture everything this lost son did when he said dad you're better off to me dead I just want my money I'm gonna sell the family farm and I'm gonna go to a foreign land I'm gonna spend it all in you know gambling and women whatever pleasure I can get I'm gonna completely go bankrupt Everything he did was to Jesus' audience a symbol of shame. Again, in a culture where shame and honor is everything. And the story picks up in Luke 15 where he's in the mud with the pigs. This is symbolic. Jesus chose pigs for a reason. It's not like he's in the mud with the cows or the sheep. The pigs were the most shameful animal symbol of shame there was in that culture. So this guy is covered in shame. Of course, he's feeling rejected at this point. He's feeling ashamed of his own choices. And in fact, we're going to see the words that that he says. No one gives him anything. And then look at this next verse. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, is what the son's going to say when he goes back to the father. So This exact territory that we're talking about, our feelings of worthlessness, of rejection, of shame, this story of the lost son is actually all about that. It's also about your salvation, and that's how we usually read it, but it's all about our worthiness. Uh, By the way, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible you love reading, we love to give away these life application study Bibles. Uh, It'll help you in, in your walk. In fact, you can look up shame in the back, and you can... Anytime we have a message, go even deeper throughout the week. So just stop by our connection corner if you want one of those. So he's feeling rejected. He is unworthy. Not only is he feeling unworthy, he is unworthy. But then we saw last week on Easter, he makes this choice. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my dad. And we thought of this moment. You can visualize it in your mind. The young man who left home with his shoulders back, big wad of cash, And he was going off to Vegas to live the high life. Now he's limping home. And he's in a totally different posture, right? He's broken down by his mistakes. He's hungry. He's lonely. He's rejected. The inheritance he had is gone. He's covered in the mud of his mistakes. still smell the pigs on him. But he limps home just hoping that his dad will... Let him be a servant in the household, live out in the servant's quarters, hoping that his dad will maybe just have enough compassion to, to feed him. But he, he kind of knows there's no way everything could be restored. I've made too many mistakes. Now, interestingly, in, as I've studied ancient Near Eastern cultures, and you see some of this still in Arab cultures, not all Arab cultures, but there is still a thing today called honor killings. Uh, If you look it up uh, in Arab culture, shame and honor are such a big deal that there are still people today uh, in parts of Iran, Iraq, Syria, et cetera, where if you dishonor your family, they will kill you because of how much you dishonored their family. Now, I'm not saying this was super common in Jesus' day, but it did happen at times in Jesus' day. The point is this, as Jesus is telling this story to his audience of sinful people and religious people who are just as broken inside but are concealing it, they're all thinking, my dad would never accept me back. Some of them are thinking, my dad would chase me off. Others are thinking, my dad would maybe kill me. That's the kind of stuff the culture was at that time. That's what they're expecting the father to do when this shameful son returns And then Jesus surprises them with this in verse 19. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. This is how God feels when you're living under shame or rejection or worthlessness. He's filled with compassion. He's just waiting for you to turn and make your way to him. And when you do, does he stand there and wait for you? No, he he runs to you. He throws his arms around the son. And you guys probably know like in Italy, and some cultures where they kiss each other, like this dad starts to just smother his son with kisses. It's this unrestrained show of affection. And then here's the real point today. Verse 22, the father calls to the servants and he says, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, again, in this culture, This was a huge deal. Uh, If you've been in church for a while, you've heard the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, Technicolor Dreamcoat stuff. His dad gave him a coat of many colors. Why did his brothers get so mad that they tried to kill him? Because that coat was the symbol of honor. And the dad had given the honor to the youngest instead of the oldest, and they were all jealous and they were all upset. That's how big of a deal these robes of honor were. This is like a robe, they didn't get it at Target or Walmart. This was like, one robe, nobody wore this every day. This robe would come out of, out like every once in a while and it would get put on one person. And here's the point. The son limps home. His family ring, he's pawned it off. His sandals are gone. His fancy robes are gone. He's covered in mud. He's covered in shame. And the dad could say, all right, son, back to the servant's quarters. We're gonna make sure you don't die, but for the rest of your life, we are going to remind you how much you messed up. Isn't that what some of our families would do? You know, like, okay, because you're my blood, you can come back into my house and eat down at the kids' table, but you're ne- it's, it's never going to be the way it was. That's what the son's expecting at best. And the father instead says, bring the robe of honor. I mean, the one that only I wear or if a traveling prophet that we really revere comes through, we put this robe on him, bring that robe. And I want to completely cover over my son's shame. My son is not defined by what he did. He's not defined by the mud of the pigs. He's defined by my robe of honor. My honor covers his shame. Put a ring on his finger. In other words, here's his identity. He's my son again. He's still my son. He's not just welcome back as a servant. He's welcome back as my son. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. You've heard that phrase. Same kind of thing in this agricultural society. They have all their animals. They have one that they're like really fattening up. And once or twice a year, the biggest celebration, the biggest feast, the biggest show of honor of the year, they bring out the fattened calf and they eat it. And the father doesn't just say, you're kind of welcome home. You can have a place in my house, but we're going to really hold this over your head. The father says, my honor completely covers your shame, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to honor you. Here's the answer to that question. How do you uproot those seeds of shame and rejection and transform them? You run to Jesus. Every time those emotions surface, you do something wrong, and your shame makes you think, oh, you're not worthy to be a Christian. You're not worthy to be in the family of God. You remind yourself, I might not have been worthy, but Jesus is worthy, and he died on the cross for me. You feel a feeling of rejection, and you allow the Holy Spirit to start speaking in your mind to say, hey, that person might reject you, but Almighty God, who defines right and wrong, who spins planets, he accepts you because of Jesus' work on the cross. You think, ah, I'm not pretty, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever, and you invite the Spirit of God, especially through the Word of God, to say, you are my beloved I chose you before the foundation of the earth. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have a plan for you. I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, declares the Lord. And it's as you let the word of God renew your mind, you change those beliefs, the locomotive, and eventually the feelings will catch up. I can stand here and I can tell you after 10 years of changing the beliefs, my feelings have finally caught up. It took me like years to be able to say I'm good at anything because of the way I was raised. was like, no, you're not good at anything. If you say you're good at something, that's pride. No, you are good at stuff. God made you that way. You know, <laughs> Celebrate what you're good at and use it for God. That took me years to get there, but I had to change my thinking and my feelings eventually caught up. Run to Jesus to experience his acceptance, his worth, his honor. And by the way, in your relationships, A lot of times, a lot of marital and relationship frustration is, why isn't that person giving me my worth, my honor? Why aren't they valuing me? If you say, remind yourself, I have those things in God, you're going to be a little less needy to get them from your spouse, and you're actually going to start to be in a position to give them more to your spouse. Only God has these in limitless quantity. Everyone else runs out. You can date or be in love with the most emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, beautiful person. They're going to run out on their bad days of as much acceptance, worth, and honor as you thirst for because you're made in the image of God. But in God, you'll find that. I don't know if you've seen these kind of tragic pictures after oil spills when an oil tanker runs aground and the oil spills out into the ocean and all these animals are just covered in oil. To me, this is a visual of what happened back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve uh, invited sin into the world. Essentially, the oil tanker of evil ran aground, and that oil of sin has spread uh, across our entire planet, across all of humanity. So we are born into a world like this. We're not born into the Garden of Eden or into heaven. We're born into a world like this. And we've got other people's sin on us. We've got our own sin on us. We've got just this brokenness from God, split away from God. It's, it's all on us. And we try to fix it. And the only repair is to go to God through Jesus, where it says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And here's a picture of some of these aid workers who are cleaning up one of these animals. I can only imagine with a bird like this. How long that process would take. You know, if it's completely caked in oil, you know, between all the feathers and everywhere, how long that process would take. Now, here's the thing when you have a moment in your life and you say, Jesus, you're my Savior, I I admit that I'm a sinner, I believe you died on the cross for me, I believe you rose from the dead. The moment that happens, you're adopted into the family of God, you've got a place in heaven, your eternal security is there through the work of Jesus on the cross. But here on earth, until you get to heaven, the process is a lot like this. And as you continue to come to church every weekend, surround yourself with other believers who will speak God's truth of who you are, read his word, and start to define yourself by what he says, the, the cleaner you get, so to speak. But it, it, the difference is you're not like trying to be good to please God, you're accepting that God has made you good in Jesus. And it's all about surrendering and staying in his hands so he can keep doing this cleaning work. And the thing is, this cleaning work, it's bigger than just forgiveness of sins and salvation. I mean, that's huge, eternal life, kind of a big deal. But it's also in this life. It's the way you see yourself in the mirror, which will affect the way you treat the people around you, which will affect your emotions, which will affect your habits. And whether you've got good habits that lead to positive things or bad habits that lead to negative things, even addictions. Summarize it visually. Here's God's desire. He wants you in his presence. He wants to have his arm around you, just like the father in that story in Luke 15. In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 5, it says, when God created mankind, he made them man and woman in the likeness of God, and he blessed them. This is the heart of God toward you. God wants to bless you. That's his nature. He's the fountain of life and light and joy and warmth and love in the universe. He wants to bless you. That's how he designed us. Note the position of honor here. They're blessed. But what has happened in history, we are born into a world where there has been a catastrophic divorce in the supernatural realm. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, you think of a giant earthquake, and now there's like a Grand Canyon chasm between us and God. What's separating us from God is our sin. Not only our sin, but just sin collectively. If you think of it, in God's, where God is in heaven, it is still eternal life. No one dies there. There's still peace there. There's still satisfaction, perfect satisfaction, unbroken satisfaction, unbroken pleasure and fulfillment in the presence of God. And if you think of it like that bird covered in oil, if you want to imagine heaven is white, heaven's not actually white. It's a lot like earth except better. Okay, but if you just want to visually imagine it as being like perfectly clean is what I mean, then you've got this oily bird. How do you get the bird in there if we can't have the oil in there? You got to clean the bird off. That's what salvation is. God cleans that spiritual contamination off of us. So the bad news is that without that cleaning, we're separated over here where we do have death. We are unresolved. Scripture says all of us have sinned, and as a result, we're broken away from God. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God came to earth on a rescue in the person of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he essentially built a bridge to reconnect you back to God. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes, you believe when you set foot on the cross, as it were, you say, God, my salvation is in you. Whoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's salvation. The wages, the payment of sin is death. Did you know that every sin comes with a paycheck? The paycheck is separation from God, and apart from Jesus, that would be our eternal destiny is separated from God, and we would live in a position of shame. That's the payment for sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't earn, you don't buy your way over into God's presence. God paid for the gift at the cross, but now you receive it when you believe it. So most important question today, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever believed in Jesus For the forgiveness of your sins. If not, you can do that right now. If you have done that, then I want to add on another dimension of salvation that maybe you're not aware of. In Jesus, you are not only saved, you are also honored. In Jesus, you're not only saved, you're also honored. So even though I know you're not perfect, I'm definitely not perfect. God sees you as honored if you're a believer in Jesus. Not because of your works, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. This was a game changer for me. I spent quite a few years as a Christian, and I did not know this. So I knew I was saved and going to heaven, but I was living every day just under a cloud of shame. that I wasn't good enough. But you see it from Genesis to Revelation, from Luke 15, it's in there at the cross. God not only saved your soul, he gives you his honor. And that's my heart for you in this series, is that you would... uh, Start to believe that, and then the longer you believe it, you'll start to feel it. Your feelings will catch up to your biblical beliefs. We could visualize it this way. Here's us most days living under shame. Whether we realize it or not, the the negative things we're doing and saying and thinking and feeling go back to those seeds of rejection and worthlessness. And in Luke 15, they were symbolized in that sun, barefoot and hungry and embarrassed God's over here perfectly honored. Now, what happened when you placed your faith in Jesus is that he reached out his arm. Now, you actually are over here. Even if you don't understand it yet, God sees you as over here. In Jesus, God covers you completely with his honor. Now, this is mentally, this is not like permission to like, oh, I can just go sin as much as I want because God's going to see me as honored anyway, That's not the idea, but the idea is this, when you're trying to beat a sin or get out of a sin, if you're living over here in shame, it's just going to drive you deeper and deeper into shame. But when you're able to remind yourself, God has made me righteous in Jesus, then when you sin, you're like, hey, you know what? I stumbled in that. It's part of my old nature, but if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's not who I am anymore. I'm going to stand back up. I'm going to dust myself off. God, thank you that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and I'm going to live like someone who's honored. And and you see this, we'll get into this next week, but you can see it with toddlers and kids. If you treat a kid like they're always shameful, they're going to act shameful. And if you treat a kid like they're honored, they're going to act honored. Most of us were raised treated like we were real shameful, and apart from Jesus, we were, but now we're honored, and it's this journey now of, God, God, Help me to learn to live like your honored son or daughter. This is what I desire for you guys so much. I want you to experience this. Scripture puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, just think about this for a moment. God is perfect, has never sinned. Or maybe we should ask it as a question. Has God ever had a morning where God wakes up and he's like getting ready for the day and he's like, oh, cannot believe I did that last night. I am so ashamed of myself. Right? Like, Think about this. Uh, God, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They exist in perfect relationship where each one is worthy, honored, and accepted. That's where we're made in the image of God and get that from. They've existed that way for eternity. They're not bound by time. They've never felt shame. They've never messed up. And then God sees us drowning in the oil of shame and rejection. And he says, I will go down into their world for the great exchange. I will feel their shame more than that. I will let their shame absorb into me completely. I'll carry their shame so that I can give them an exchange and they can feel my honor. They can have my robe of honor put over their wounds of shame. Look at this. Jesus died on the cross. Why? I think most of us, even if you've been in church for a while, if we were to finish this verse based on how we actually live life, we'd say, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might spend the rest of our lives on earth feeling like we're not good enough, but someday get to heaven where everything's going to be okay. Like, that's how most of us assume it is. But what does God say? He made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whether you realize it or not, Christian, you already are the righteousness of God. And next week I'm going to give you a bunch more scriptures and a bunch of ways to really start to live this out every day. But today's just start to believe it. And then next week we'll go a little bit deeper. Here's a visual for you. You've heard of rose-colored glasses, and the idea is this. If someone's wearing these, everything they see is going to be tinted that color. There was this moment in my Christian walk where as I was studying the Word of God and I was growing in my faith, Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ now stands at the Father's right hand in heaven, and he ever lives to make intercession for you. In other words, every time I sin or mess up, Jesus is right there next to God, and he says, I died on the cross for that one. I died on the cross for that too. That's also forgiven. And as a result, the Father sees me through the lens of the Son. And even though I'm not perfect, even though I have mud and mistakes on me, his robe of honor has covered me. And when I started to get that, it started to set me free in a really deep way. And that's my prayer for you is to just start to believe God sees me through the lens of Jesus. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, because if he didn't, we'd be in big trouble. God sees you through the lens of Jesus. So here's three points that we're gonna unpack next week, but just in summary this week, I want you to know today, Christian, you are accepted in Jesus, even if the people around you don't accept you. You are made worthy. In Jesus, Even if you feel like you're not worthy, you are worthy in Jesus. You start to believe it. You start to claim it, and eventually you'll feel it. You are made honorable in Jesus. And so instead of it being like, hey, because Jesus died on the cross for you, you better never mess up. It's like because Jesus died on the cross for you, you are a new creation. You now have the power to do what's right. And when you mess up, you can get up, and you can get healthy and start moving in the right direction again. I want to mention a group that we have available that goes deeper on this, and if you want to be part of it, just text the word ACCEPTED to this number on the screen. You can take a picture of it. You can text it now. You can look at this later online if you want. This book, Shame Interrupted, is written by a psychologist, PhD, who's also a biblical theologian, and he really helps for both men and women unpack these deep-rooted feelings of rejection, worthlessness, and shame. And heal them through the Word of God and the promises of God. So, if you text that word, accepted, we actually have Christian counselors who are leading these groups. The group is, you know, confidential. We're not going to put your name up on a screen on a Sunday and be like, "Well, there's Nancy. I'm glad she got in the group." Right? We're all, we're all broken. We all need this. This has changed me and helped me so much um, that I just really want to encourage you. Some of you are like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting." Others of you are like, "Whoa, I really." This could change my life if I could get this. If you're feeling that way, these groups are for you. We will break it off. There will be one for women and one for men. And I just can't encourage you enough because here this series will go over three weeks, but these groups will go much longer. I want to show you a story to just show you how God can take us if we'll bring him our shame and change us for the better. This is a man in our church, a medical doctor, whose shame was controlling his life to the point that it cost him, it was costing him his career and even his family. But I want you to see how Jesus showed up and changed
1: it all. God had to get me to a place where he stripped everything away. I wasn't a physician, I wasn't a dad, I wasn't a husband, I wasn't a brother, I wasn't a friend, I was nothing. I was a, I was a broken, lost human being. And God stripped everything away because he's like, I want you, that's all I want. And you have all these other things in front of you that you try and use as obstacles to keep me from getting to who you are. For me, I, I think it, you know, I started it, I was a young teen, about like 14 or so. I know there, there was a big event that happened when I was about 17 when I was at a missions conference. This huge um, public university, we were housed there. I got housed in a fraternity and this guy had a stack of porn magazines that was about two feet high, and that's not an exaggeration. And I even went out and said something to somebody like, I, I don't think I can be in that room, and they're like, look, look, there's stuff everywhere. You know, basically I was told don't look at it. Which as a 17-year-old kid, you know, and, and that's always been a hard thing for me because, you know, I grew up in a, in a good Christian home. I didn't have exposure to that stuff. Um, but man I I got it um, and and I was really kind of hooked. It got bad enough that that really I mean it it controlled my life it <clears throat> I believe it it became a I believe it was an idol. It, it became a god you know I mean it, it had affected my. My ability to practice medicine, it affected my um, relationships with, with people. And it got to a point where you know everything began coming out, and that's when my wife, you know, came to me and said, you either need to run headlong into your sin or you need to get help. One of the two. But you can't do both. I had to leave. I had to leave my family, I had to leave a practice that I had built up. And I was gone for 103 days. I had a daughter who had just been born. With all of my kids, but particularly with her, there's a 103-day gap. I wasn't there. You don't, you don't get time back, you know. And so there's a loss. There's just a loss of, you know, I manufactured a God. I think that any anytime that you're willing to sacrifice what is most valuable to you, your career, your family, your marriage, when you sacrifice all of those things for something else, whatever it is you're sacrificing those things for, that's your God. In the book of Joel, God sent a plague of locusts upon the nation of Israel because he was tired of them screwing up and doing what they were doing. So he sent a plague of locusts. In chapter two, he tells them, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And then the the part that I believe that my wife and I have just seen so true is in verse 25. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten but just that promise that I will repay the years the locusts have eaten. I cannot imagine the life that I have now. Um, You know, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, now unto him he is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. I couldn't imagine the life that I have now. And I have seen over and over and over how the Lord has restored the years that the locusts have eaten. I remember I was in church at the time, and we were worshiping. I don't remember the song, and it was kind of an upbeat song. Um, And I was standing there singing, God, I have nothing to offer you. I don't have any income that I can put a tithe in the offering plate. I don't have a job that I can dedicate any service to you. I have nothing. I just have (laughs) a broken me. And it was almost like I got an audible voice of, that's all I want. I just want you.
0: I love Neil's story because it normalizes the reality that every one of us in this room has some struggle in our life that traces its way back to some seed of shame or rejection or worthlessness. And when you're struggling with those things or those emotions, the enemy wants to isolate you because healing happens in community. The enemy wants to separate you away so he can just go to town killing and stealing and destroying, get you on that negative spiral downward. Neil's Neil did the right thing back in that struggle. He was still in church. His wife did the right thing saying, hey, I see you. I love you. Pick a side. And then he did the right thing saying, I'm, I'm just totally broken, God. I can't fix this. That's part of our culture as a church. We are not a religious group of people who pretend like we're all really great. We're a bunch of broken people who believe that God is really great. We're not people who put up a front that we are worthy, we are people who put on a robe of righteousness that says we've been made worthy through Jesus. And I just want to encourage you today to just open your heart to believing in Jesus, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the restoration of your righteousness, for your worth, for your dignity. And next week, we're going to get real practical, but it is a game changer. We all still mess up, but after you mess up, if you know that's not who I am anymore, you go upward closer to God, and you get more and more set free versus if you try to hold all that on your own, you make the mistake, and you just carry that, and you can't carry it on your own, and then you go back to the thing, and you get on a negative spiral downward. God wants a positive spiral honor spiral for your life not a negative shame spiral and so what am I asking you to do today very simply this will you bring Jesus your broken pieces bring him I know some of you you're like yeah there's one seed of shame or rejection down there others of you are like John if you could see beneath the soil of my heart that's all that's there bring him your broken pieces if you will run to him with what you have just like the lepers would come to him and the blind people would come to him he would heal them he will heal you just run to him and that's your choice this next week these next six days every time those shame rejection all those feelings pop up you just remind yourself Jesus I want to start believing who I am in you would you help me to start experiencing that and then join us here next week we're gonna continue on this study but right now if you'd stand with me I just want to pray over you as we go into a time of worship father you see the brokenness in each of our lives Uh, some of it we've inflicted on ourselves and a lot of it is just the contamination we were born into God I just pray over this place and everyone online that in this moment as we sing and worship you that we would just choose to run to you to bring you a broken me to bring you our broken pieces. Father, we ran to you once for salvation. Now we're learning to run to you every single day when we doubt our worth or when we mess up. We will run to you again and again and again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.